love to be a flyer up there where the air is clear. The chances of the air being clear anywhere near you, Baldrick, <laughs> are zero. Oh, sir, it'd be great swooping and diving. <laughs> Bolrick, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm a Sopwith camel, sir. Well, it is a Sopwith camel. Ah, right. I always get confused between the sound of a Sopwith camel and the sound of a malodorous runt wasting everybody's time. <laughs> now, if you can do without me in the nursery for a while, I'm going to get some fresh air. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spin Posh Presents. I am one of your hosts, Brian Swinski. And I am Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good, Ryan. How are you? Um, I'm doing very well. We're doing, uh, um, I guess, I, I don't know, uh, in-between monthly show because we can't do the mystery box because of the world being in disarray. Mm. So it's for the time being, um, we are talking TV shows. We're talking about televisual events, dare I say. Uh, oh yeah, that's the name you gave the other one, didn't you? Yep, we figured. I figured out a name. I figured a Garth Marenghi's Dark Place reference will do the trick. Uh, and yet we haven't talked about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, a te- televisual event in itself. No, we are talking TV. We don't usually talk TV, but hey, things are things are all crazy and upside down in the world. So last uh, last episode, last month, we talked about Twin Peaks: The Return. This time round, Bartek and I were thinking, hey, you know, we're both big fans of Blackadder, and mm-hmm. I think it's time to talk about Blackadder. It's been it's been a little while since we've both actually rewatched it, I do believe, and we were just we were just like, hey, let's watch it again, and you know, it's fun to talk about, and we can just talk about talk about it on the pod. It's a it's a fun time. Am I wrong, Bartek? Is it not a fun time? Well, that's what we're here to find out. It's fun until it's sad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, There's a lot of death. Yeah. So, uh, Black Adder for those listening people, Black Adder who are not in the know or where Black Adder was a series uh, from the '80s and eventually into the '90s, I guess. British uh, comedy series. Um, each season of the show is a self-contained story, a self-contained anthology thing about the different lives of uh, of, uh, of of a series of different characters: Edmund Blackadder and Baldrick and Lord and Percy Percy and Darling and Melchard and all these different characters. But our main character is Blackadder, and it's just basically putting Rowan Atkinson in different historical periods. In each season, so, you know, for instance, the, the fourth season's World War One, second season's Queen Elizabeth, the first, and, and you have a, a bunch of specials and all of that good stuff. Yeah, different, uh, different relatives, ancestors, descendants of this lineage. Yeah, and, and of the other characters' lineages as well. Some of them, <laughs> Percy Percy just mm-hmm. disappears after season two. Yep. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, and it's, uh, Blackadder is a classic British sitcom. It's a classic comedy show. I would say if you're into comedy shows and you haven't at least heard of Blackadder, then you're truly missing out because Blackadder is not just, it's not a cult classic show. It is just a classic show. Hmm. 
So, Bartek, what is your history with his- this historical show set in historical time periods? When did you mm, first see this? Unlike other things. Um, I first saw it, I'd say I was a teenager when I first saw it. I hadn't actually uh, heard of it outside of me just browsing the internet, basically. Ah, so you found it through online recommendation. Yeah, I remember yeah, somewhere in my teenage years I discovered that, mm. like, oh, I can use the internet to watch things. And I remember um, at one point I was like, oh, I can I can watch Mr. Bean. And then through... through <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love watching... my brain went elsewhere. It's like, when I was a teenager, I, could just, I discovered I could watch things online, like Mr. Bean. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> mm-hmm, things online when you're a teenager, yep. Mr. Bean springs to mind. Yeah, every, that's what everyone does, right? Yeah, of course. You can just watch them on YouTube now. Yeah, I think I did watch it on YouTube. Um, but basically, yeah, I'd, I'd watch Mr. Bean, and then in the recommended uh, things, I'd get recommended something called Blackadder. Um, and I'd click mm. on, like, random Blackadder videos, and because I didn't know what this was, I was a bit confused that, like, in one video, he was, like, this World War One guy with a moustache, and then he's a pilot. And then the second thing I'd look at is um, the part from the second episode of the yeah. first season where he's like, I am not a eunuch! And I'm like, is this the same show? It says Blackadder. Um, and then eventually yeah. I just sorted myself out and went through the whole thing. Nice. Nice. I grew up with Blackadder. I don't remember a time in which Blackadder wasn't in my knowledge. Um, Specifically, season two, I remember watching mainly. um, We had that. We had them recorded on video, and then eventually we got the DVD box set of the series, and then the specials. And I remember him being Mr. Bean, of course, because Mr. Bean is something I also grew up with. But I would say I've watched Blackadder way more as way more in comparison to Mr. Bean. Even as a kid, I think I watched Blackadder more because it stimulated my comedy sensibilities even as a child. I like Mr. Bean, don't get me wrong. He's Mr. Bean's iconic and great and he transcends um, all languages because he's, you know, silly and silent comedy kind of thing going on. But uh, Blackadder was the, the intellectual comedy. It was the smart person's comedy, whilst also being gross and silly and violent and, you know, obvious gags and, you know, oh, his name's Darling, ha ha ha, you know, and, but it always struck me that, hey, this guy, he's also, like, Rowan Atkinson can do more than be Mr. Bean, which I think most people outside of, like, the UK and Australia and New Zealand, whatever, what I'm saying is Americans... Most Americans, it seems, don't know that he is not just Mr. Bean. Yeah, when I actually... Because one of the things I did watch for this was the Black Adder back and forth thing. Yeah. The the video that I ended up watching was literally called, like, Mr. Bean in all caps and in brackets, like, Black Adder back and forth. And just to talk about black, back and forth just for a second, even back and forth was capitalizing on him being Mr. Bean because the opening credits, he's doing Mr. Bean reenactments in historical periods not blackadder yeah. like none of yeah, them are 
not even like the first season of Black Adam, not even that version of Black Adam matched any of the things in the opening of Back and Forth's credit sequence. It's like, oh, at the time he was being popular as Mr. Bean, this was before he did the Mr. Bean movie. It's very odd. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Rowan Atkinson's one of those guys where if you know, like if you're from England, particularly, like if basically if you're not American, you just know that he is more than just Mr. Bean. He is just a staple of comedy. He does Blackadder. He does Thin Blue Line. His stand-up stuff, you know, his on-stage stuff. He's he's not the nine o'clock news. Love Actually, I want to say, or, or, or uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Like, he's always in things, and he's always... Johnny English, of course. Um, but he's always more than just Mr. Bean. And for myself, it's like it's very funny when, for instance, there's, like, videos online. Like, there's a big one, like, the, the, the like about the physical comedy brilliance of Mr. Bean. But the whole video is just about Rowan Atkinson. Like, it's not about mm. Mr. Bean. It's about Ron Atkinson, yes. but they just, like, you wouldn't get as many clicks if you don't call it Mr. Bean. Yeah, I remember one of the big things was when I was looking up Mr. Bean was uh, that I was really interested in Ron Atkinson. I was checking out a mm. lot of his stuff. So uh, when I branched out from Mr. Bean to, like, watch his Ron Atkinson live sketches mm. and Blackadder and eventually the Thin Blue Line, it was just very much a interesting experience me using the internet to learn more about something or someone yeah yeah as long as you don't use wikipedia as a source material then it's fine as a reference that's you're not allowed to use it. <laughs> that's literally where i learned about thin blue line from so there we go yeah oh, thin blue line's amazing but uh, yeah with with well with that you knew rowan atkinson until your teen years primarily as mr bean how was yeah, it seeing so, so. him be black adder how was it? Because it's very different. He's very like I I don't know how to uh, describe him, but he's smart. He's he's cynical. He's he's more of a you know he's a different type of character. How did you feel? Uh, yeah, I wish I could remember my initial experiences a bit more, but I definitely know that I distinctly remember in, when I was fourteen, I was just blabbing on about Blackadder to a friend of mine, and I think. Me not having a filter, I think I pretty much just described every single scene from the four seasons that I liked within, like, one conversation. Yeah. Um. Yeah, definitely it became a thing of, like, wow, I, I thought this guy was mainly known for Mr. Bean, but this thing I like even more. And this isn't just the Rowan Atkinson show. This, the great thing about Blackadder as a whole is you are getting the comedy titans of that time. And let's be honest, still great comedy titans. You're getting Stephen Fry, you're getting Hugh Laurie, you're getting Rick Mail at points, you're getting, you know, so on and so forth. You're getting all these comedic titans. And then also you're getting serious actors being silly because Brian Blessed, Miranda Richardson, and, and uh, like, there's a few others in this show are usually serious performers. They're usually not as comedically leaning as as actors. And still, some like I've barely ever seen Miranda Richardson be as overtly comedic. I've seen her be far more serious. But as Queenie, you know, she's hilarious. But <laughs> this show, you get the joy of watching these comedic legends just sparring off against one another. It's it's it's. This is my end game. <laughs> like all these British titans of comedy, like like in the third season, 
one of the Scarlet Pimpernel guys is is Percy, the guy who plays Percy, but the other one is um, Nigel Planner, who plays Neil from The Young Ones, which Rick Mail was in and Ben Elton wrote for. And fourth season, you get Adrian Edmondson as the Red Baron, and him and Rick Mail, again, from The Young Ones and Bottom, and they were like a comedic duo, so it's great seeing them face off in Blackadder. And that's one of the things that gets me going is, you get every, like, the big guns of that time in this series, and it's amazing. Um, and and then you get, like, weirdos like Brian Blessed, who's not a comedy actor. He is incredibly funny, but he's not a comedy actor. <laughs> he's a serious actor, and here he is in the first season being, in my honest opinion, the best thing about the first season. He's pretty great. Um, before we get into talking about our favorite seasons and our favorite, you know, versions of each character or favorite, that kind of thing, what is it about the show's sensibilities really, uh, really attract you to it, Bartek? Like, when you think of Blackadder as a long-lasting property, a long-lasting thing, what is it that, that really strikes a chord with you about it? Um... Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. Uh, when I think of Blackadder, I I tend to think of mm. yeah, just just this idea of this lineage that brought, was brought about by this you know dumb guy, the first Blackadder. Yeah, he was, he was a dumb guy with everything going against him, and yet it somehow kept going, kept going, and they. And the new ones, even though they were smarter, they they were just, I guess, trying to survive the best that they could, and mm. it just leads to all these interesting things. And even though this first guy had a you know very sad end, something did come about from his actions in a way. So it's yeah. it's yeah this weird almost underlining story in a way. Yeah, I agree. I think that is an interesting thing that draws you to it. And like we said, each season is self-contained, so you can watch any season and not have to worry about the previous seasons. Yeah, absolutely. There are some running gags that you might miss out on, or just like little things, such as the evolution of lines, such as I have a cunning plan, or little characters like Flash, Heart, and Bobby, and... And all of that, they they are things that are continuity that are added fun, but you can plop into the fourth season and not worry about having seen the other three. That's Oh yeah, I think I think only the second season really makes any reference to a previous season, and that's just like one line in the credits. <laughs> yeah. I when I think of Black Adder, one of the things that strikes me other than its obvious uh brilliant writing uh very very slick very funny like it's a show that balances both intellectual humor with lots of history gags and character gags but also it's one of those shows that um does a great job in writing of just anything will be good for a gag you know what i'm talking about we've we've watched movies like that where it's just gag upon gag upon gag and that's what the whole thing is and then you have something that's a bit more like intellectually structured comedy, and this does both of those. But what drives me when I think of Blackadder is, it's the it's the thing that I love in lots of these comedies, like Catch Twenty Two, for instance. It's the people who are in charge, the people with power, are crazy, and yep. the people with little to no power 
are the ones that are are sane, but also then you have people like Baldrick who has no power and he's absolutely crazy. Except for the fourth season, he speaks so much truth, yet he's still crazy. <laughs> and... Yeah, that's that's another thing about the show. Like every season has this superior character that is antagonistic for the most part, but not always. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that draws me is it does a brilliant job. Each season is topping itself in that dynamic of having Blackadder be the man of reason and sanity in a world full of crazy people, and it just keeps getting more elaborate and more depressing. Like, in the series, to begin with, he's a prince, and by the end, he's in the front lines of the trenches. Like, that, his power as, a, as an individual goes down each season. Yeah. E- every season, he has some level of power, but the people above him pretty much makes it so that he can't flex that in any way that you'd imagine yeah exactly that's so true and i always think about that i think about and and that's primarily you know it, it comes to the boiling point in season four where there's a tragedy element to that um that dynamic of the people who are in charge are mad and and black hat is the sane one but <laughs> yeah every every season ends with a death but the fourth season pretty much from the beginning was always talking about like oh we're heading towards death try to avoid it except for the third, third season he gets to live <laughs> yes yes but there, there is still a death at the end of the third season just oh, yeah. the twist is that it's not him or everyone usually it's everyone dies yeah mm. early on definitely first season uh, second and, season fourth, fourth season. season yeah <laughs> fair enough yes <laughs> Um, That's most of them, actually. Do you have a favourite character? Like, out of the main players, do you have a favourite? It's it's hard to say. I always think of, I mean, the two most consistent ones, Blackadder and Baldrick. Just, I really like them both. Yeah, I think it's Blackadder. I think he's the thing that I, like, he's my favourite character. And usually the main character, and usually the, the cynical stick-in-the-mud straight man character usually isn't my favourite but Rowan Atkinson just plays it so well that every time he's on screen, you just can't not look at him. And he is truly amazing. I don't think I have a favorite iteration of Blackadder, like which version of Blackadder. I don't know. I don't have a favorite of those. I have a favorite season. I don't have a favorite version of Blackadder because they're very hard to pick from. Because he's doing different things, as is Baldrick. Baldrick gets dumber. That's the thing. He gets dumber and dumber <laughs> and dumber. Like he was, Yeah, he was actually kind of the smartest in the first season. And then by the fourth season, he's carving his own name on a bullet. <laughs> but again, speaking a lot of truths. Speaking a lot of hard truths. Um, and I love, I love Blackadder. Um, I will give a special shout out to uh, to Georgie. I love, I love Prince George. <laughs> he's 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 great. He's he's mad and wonderful. Um, so Bartek, you ready to talk about our hot takes? Sure. Let's let's see how this goes. Your favorite season, I do believe, is season one. I am very fond of season the one. The hottest of takes. Now, is that still true? Like, on this rewatch, was it still your favourite? Or did that kind of shift around? Because for me, I'm, I always shift around whenever I'm watching it. I think I think maybe it still is my favourite. I, I was very fond of it in the rewatch, and when it was over, 
there are a lot of things that I was pointing out mentally that I was like, ah, oh, okay, this this sort of element is not going to be present for the next three seasons. I'm going to miss this, you know, that kind of <laughs> thing going on. Yeah, the first season is usually the one that most people agree is the weakest season, including the creators of the show and the actors mm. in the show, and pretty much everyone agrees. Um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't call it the one that I think is the best, but it's definitely one I'm very fond of. I like. I think it's really good. Still, I really did enjoy it on the re on this rewatch. It's it's definitely the weakest for me. I would say if you were wanting to watch Blackadder, I would say start out with season two or three, um, and then check out the others as an introductory yeah, course. just to get an idea of what the whole thing's like. As I think season two and three are, like, the definers of, like, if you're going to be into this or not, because season one's a little bit rough around the edges, and season four, I think, pays off very nicely if you've watched at least another season of Blackadder to mm. understand the structure but you can watch the fourth season as well as an introductory thing like they're all great but i think just the first season if you're wanting to watch blackadder you can watch it from the beginning but just know that this isn't like the definer of how the rest of the series is going to be because it yeah, is still it's... different <laughs> yeah then they pick what they liked and they get rid of what they didn't like basically going forward so what about the first season do you like I really like its its tone, its setting, and its presentation. So it, I feel like the rest of the seasons have a very sitcommy atmosphere. You know, yeah. a lot of sets, a lot of uh, fixed camera angles. You don't see particular places. Whereas the first season, it actually really feels like you're at the setting. You've got like I'm thinking after the opening, mm. you see like you know a sweeping shot of a dining room. You have outdoor scenes. Um, a lot, a lot of things like that, and I really, really enjoyed that about it. it. It feels like, it feels the most like you're actually there. It had a budget. It yes. It had a budget. They filmed at castles. They filmed in winter, so you could see the actors freezing to death. They had all the armor. They had the elaborate costumes, and like you said, camera work was a little bit more elaborate in that first season. Although the fourth season did have a very elaborate camera move in which we saw a first-person perspective. Which I forgot about. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> um, I agree with all that stuff you, you just said. I think it is the most visually appealing of the seasons because you're getting like these these historically uh not not necessarily accurate but you know close to accurate kind of feel. You know, you, they're riding actual horses. They're near actual castles. They're on actual fields performing battles and. It is the historical epic out of the four seasons, for sure, when it comes to the budgeting of it and the sets and the costumes and the production design and all that. I totally agree. Mm. I love um, Brian Blessed's uniform, like his, his armor with the, with the gauntlets on the shoulders. <laughs> and he's covered yeah. in blood and he's screaming. I love that. That's like an image that never leaves my brain. Or when he's playing, like when he's figuring out how he's going to invade different countries and he's got his map on the floor with the different chess pieces or like the different pieces. And he's just like, like the, you know, this one's like a horsey and he's just like knocking them over like they're toys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I, which also happens in the last episode of the fourth season in a way. It does. It does. I yep. I enjoyed the first season much more on this rewatch. I I, I I think it has a lot of merit. I think the biggest weakness, though, 
is Blackadder himself. You can tell that they didn't know what his character was. Yeah, he had... Because he's meant to be a dumb guy, but he does have these moments of, like, wit and very reminiscent of future Blackadders where it fits a lot more. Yeah, he's a little bit too wishy-washy as a central character. And I love Rowan Atkinson, but he's playing it a little too... A little too broad for my taste. Like, he's pulling a lot of silly faces. He's doing a lot of physical comedy stuff, which I don't associate Blackadder as being a physical comedy show as strongly as other Rowan Atkinson vehicles. Like, there's physical comedy stuff in there, but usually Rowan Atkinson's not the one doing the physical comedy as much. But in this first season, I think of him... um, constantly uh, 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 groveling and bowing until he's, like, out of the room and around the corner. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Or when he is going to be... I can't remember. He's going to be elected as something or other, and uh, he has to lay on the floor in front of the king. (laughs) Yeah, in the same way that his brother just did. Yeah, but more humiliating. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I enjoy that. I, I think what I like about the first season, too, is they have grander stories. Like, the actual plots of each of the episodes feels historically relevant to what was happening in the kingdom at that time. And you get some context, because the, every episode starts with a narrator. Yes. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Do you remember the narrator? I somewhat did, yeah. I really enjoyed having the narrator, because the narrator also had a few jokes of his own there. Um, and he did and physically also turn up later. <laughs> um, yeah, and also I I don't know the, the settings that all these shows are set in as well as I think I should, so that definitely helped for me for that season. <laughs> that is true. Uh, yeah, that first season has so many grand plots. I think my favourite episode of the first season... Comedy wise, plot wise, is the 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 witch sniffer episode. The mm. guy who thinks they're witches. I enjoy that episode a lot. <laughs> Definitely, when I think of like witch trials and stuff, I always jump to that episode where like every single line that someone says is taken completely in the wrong direction. Like you're purposely, uh, you know, jumping to a conclusion. It's like, oh, I'm interpreting this as you being a witch. I always think of that. They even executed the horse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who who wrote, well he wrote a confession, right? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I I also love that actor who played the witch sniff. I don't know him from anything else really, but he was great as that he character. Was <laughs> he was so ha- hammy and silly and over the top. Yeah. Another thing that the first season has is that um not only is the superior character a relative of Blackadder's, but you also get a lot of his family. Yeah, it is interesting that you get his family in this. We do get some family in the second season, but they're different. Yes, we do. Um, do you have a favourite episode in this first season, one that really strikes a chord? It's really hard to say. I always think of, like you know, individual scenes. Like, I, I remember in the in the one where he becomes the Archbishop, I remember the scene where Baldrick is, like, showing all the stuff that they're going to scam people with. Yeah. And then, and then in the last episode, it might be the last episode, when he's gathering all the evil men in the kingdom. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just... Every episode has, like, little moments that I like. And, of course, we have Miriam. Miriam Margulies and Jim Broadbent as Jim the Broadbent. comedy duo of a century. I <laughs> love the Spanish Inferno episode as well. I don't... 
I love that one. Uh, it has possibly one of my favorite gags in Blackadder, where he's constantly translating for her at the wedding, and yeah. and the and the the bishop guy is just so fed up with him because Jim Broadbent is being so annoying with his like character. He, every like the way he speaks is so like he's like a muppet. What? It's, it's he like it's like yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, purposely bad accent, but for comedic effect. Jim Broban didn't know what a Spanish... He didn't know how to do a Spanish accent, so that was his attempt. <laughs> That's great. I think one of the writers, I want I can't remember which one, said, I've never heard... Like, it was perfect. I've never heard a person get every syllable in the English language wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like Jim Broadbent. <laughs> But the bit that, that cracks me is when the bishop just asks him, like, will you shut up? And he just shouts to the people behind Silencio. him, silencio! Like, he, he's, he's translating it. <laughs> it. It was definitely a few uh, a few watches in of that episode that I noticed that, like, every single line he says is a translation. Like, he doesn't have lines of his own. Yes. Isn't that I, yeah, that took me That took me a long time to realize, and it made it all the better. <laughs> The what's he like in bed? Like. In bed. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got to talk about Miriam. She's amazing. She gets to appear more. I'm I'm heartbroken still that Jim Broadbent didn't get to appear in season two. He was busy, but she's amazing. I've turned you on to her over the last year or two as a personality. She's she's hilarious. And do you prefer her as the Spanish Infanta? White Adder or Queen Victoria? I think I'm a White Adder guy. I think I'm a White Adder guy too. And with Jim Broadbent, I prefer him as Prince Albert, but I don't know. Silencio will always be in there. <laughs> I feel like I don't know. I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like maybe that that what's he like in bed line must have influenced me in some way. <laughs> I don't know how though. In bed, probably. In bed. In bed. Yes. And that that scene also has the great logic of you're asking that question to the mother of the person in question. I think on my this rewatch, a character that I found very interesting and very compelling, I always find Brian Blessed amazing because he's the obvious one, but I found Harry really interesting on the rewatch. I thought Harry was a fascinating character and the performance was really good because he could have went one way or the other. He could have been completely oblivious and pompous and unaware of what a sniveling arsehole he is or he could have been more adversarial and he just finds that perfect middle ground because when he screws over Edmund or when he's a dick to Edmund, you feel like he's not doing it out of malice. But sometimes he is, and I felt that the actor did a really good job as Harry. He was someone I found very, very interesting on this rewatch. Yeah, I've always liked Harry. I always thought he was very funny. But we got Brian Blessed to distract us. Oh my god. Brian Blessed, how he was not in more Blackadder will always haunt me. Yeah. Because each season you read a piece of trivia about how Brian Blessed was going to be in it somehow, and then it just didn't work out. Oh, I didn't read any of that trivia. He was going to. They, they. He was. He wanted to. Apparently, according to trivia, wanted to play Queen uh, Queen Elizabeth <laughs> with the beard. <laughs> I don't know if that's true because I have personally he listened played to Mercy. He should have played. No, no he should have played Redbeard. He should have. Tom Baker was great though. Um, 
<laughs> and apparently in the back and forth, it was supposed to go back to the first season, but they couldn't do it because Brian Blessed got booked up, so they had to change it to Waterloo. Uh, no, it's shame. a shame. It's a bloody shame. I don't know if that's necessarily true, because I have listened to Brian Blessed's autobiography, he, and he talks about his experience with Blackadder being a, being a really fun experience, but he felt very unnatural and uncomfortable because he's not a comedy actor although we all find him very hilarious because he's very loud and brash and over the top and he's a great panel guest and a great speaker and he's fun and black at a it does make sense when you look over his career comedy is not the thing he does so black at a is to him a rarity in his career it's an oddity it's something that he enjoyed doing but it wasn't a a strength of his that he was familiar with. It's like, Bartek and I, we've both done acting and we both know internally what our strengths and weaknesses are as as performers or what we like to lean towards and stuff that we haven't lent towards. And I understand that with Brian Blessed. It is astonishing though, because you see him in Blackadder and you just think, oh, he's he's amazing. I I can't wait to watch him in every other comedy thing. But really, he doesn't have that much. Yeah, true. There are compared to a lot of the other superiors in the show. There's a lot of episodes where he's in the background. Like, there's one episode where he's sick, and you only see him like two or three times. But they're amazing when you when they are amazing. <laughs> I always think of him drenched in blood and how he made a bridge out of dead bodies with people he stabbed to death with a with a fruit knife or whatever it was. <laughs> amazing. I he does have. My top five quotes in Blackadder, where, of course, he's always forgetting Edmund's name. And then, who's that? You're, you know, you're the son. Oh, yes, of course. The slimy one. <laughs> that is a defiant... When I think of how to describe Edmund Blackadder as a character in all the seasons, that's a line that immediately pops to my head. Oh, yes, the slimy one. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to one character that I think Bartek you like a lot, and I and we haven't brought it up, but do you like the messenger guy in the first season? Yes. Because I loved yes, him. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. What? He should have come back. What is that about? I just love it. It's so silly <laughs> that he just mimics their physicality to the point in which they try and push him. He pushes them. And Harry uncharacteristically hates him. <laughs> he hates poor people. It's not just him. He hates all poor people. Like, he hates all servants. It's But we see it primarily with the messenger guy. He gets really loud and angry with him. Uh, um, anything else you want to mention about that first season? Oh, can we mention the theme song? I think it's the best theme song. Yes. It's really epic. Absolutely. Yep. Although, I do like the second series season theme song can i just tell you my sister had as her ringtone the second season's theme tune and she always thought it was the first season and my wife told her no that's season two of blackadder and my sister was blackadder two <laughs> my, my sister was like what and since then she remedied that and changed it to the first season <laughs> So now, because she didn't know the first season, she just forgot. Because what? they're all very similar, they're just they're done in different time periods. Like the first season's one very epic or grand sweeping, but basically, when you break them down, they all have a similar. You know, the black out of theme. It's just they have different. Yeah, sounds. it's the same tune, but like different instruments and sometimes vocals and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but my sister just forgot. So, 
And then yeah, but but like, what's what's the logic of changing the ringtone? Like, she specifically wanted the first. Yeah, she was like, well, I'm changing it in the first season. <laughs> okay. Um, that's just how your brain works. Um, anything else you want to mention about the first season and what really makes it special for you? Uh, I guess I'll ask, what did you think of the first Baldrick compared to the rest of the Baldrick? I find him less interesting, honestly. I think it's a conflicting thing because Blackadder is also smart at points, and Baldrick is yeah. smart, and it feels like you have one or the other. Well, Percy is Percy. He's stupid no matter what. He's pretty consistent between the two seasons he appears in. Ah, uh, Percy. Which Percy do you prefer? Uh, I think maybe the second one. I think, yeah, the first one, because we have such a dumb Edmund, the fact that <laughs> you have to have Edmund jump between, you know, being dumb and also, like, mm. yeah, being being snarky, it kind of contrasts a bit more. So I, I think maybe the second one, due to Edmund. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing. Um, I prefer second season one as well, uh, just because he, not only for what you just said, but also invents the purest form of green. Uh, <laughs> Although I do, I do like one of his first lines in the first scene where he's like, "Well, we could if we want to." To like, we're not gonna lose. <laughs> uh, the first season a lot more interesting than people do give it credit for, including myself. I agree, it has grand sweeping vistas. It has m- m- leans far more into Shakespeare stuff as well. Each series has some reference to Shakespeare involved, but the first season heavily so. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, it can be great, can be annoying. I personally found it great. I thought it was very fun. I liked the witches. They were, they were fun in that one episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I also like the fact that the first season played with absurdity more. Like, random absurdity. Each season has absurdism in it, for sure. Um, to the point in which on the rewatch I was surprised by how much it was prevalent throughout each season, but the first season has so many absurd things like the court case, like the witch trial in which they just jump in the air and then it cuts to a different room and they've just jumped in there. Like, how did they do that? And they're just like, alright, I'm glad that that worked. And that plan was hyped up. Yeah, it was really hyped up and I'm like, I'm glad that worked. How did that work? And then they fuck up anyway. Also, first season does have an iconic line of dialogue, which is, Morning, Doncaster! <laughs> I really love the story you told about your dad with that So, line. my parents, big fans, of course, we, at one point or another, went to medieval um, fairs. Is that what they're called? Okay. I, I've heard the term medieval fair, yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Medieval dress-up things. And there was a guy there who was dressed in a very poncy outfit. And my father walked past him and said, Morning, Doncaster! And, of course, they knew what that was a reference to. And so did everyone. And it just became a thing that that guy was called <laughs> Doncaster for the rest of the day. Ah, oh, a true legendary <laughs> moment. <laughs> I love that story. Season two of Blackadder is where Blackadder really begins. No, I'm, of course, being facetious. I think it's... I, I, my thing is, I don't know what my favourite season is in between, in between season two and season four. And I'm, yeah. even on this watch, I can't tell you. I think maybe season two, because I think every episode has the perfect lines. All of the lines are perfect. Well, season four... 
I, it's hard to say, but I think it's just because it has a more melancholy tone. Season two feels like a like a warm blanket over you in the cold. It's it's familiar. It's nostalgic. I think it's because season two's the nicest season. I don't know if you feel that way. Like it feels like although the characters that are in charge and have power are adversarial, it still feels like they're friendly. You know, they all give each other nicknames. Like Queenie and Blackie and Melchy and Nursey and you know what I'm talking about, Bartek? Yeah, yeah, I do. To me, I think that's one of the appeals of the second season. Is it feels like they're a family. The the cast of characters, like yeah, they're making fun of each other, and yeah, one of them's threatening to kill the others, but it feels more wholesome. It feels warmer and cuddlier. And Blackadder is so cynical at the heart of it, but. He genuinely likes Queen Elizabeth. That's what yeah, I got the, struck with. Yeah, there were times where I was wondering, like, oh, does he? Doesn't he? But then in the end, I think he did like her. Life without you would be like a broken pencil. Hmm? Absolutely pointless. <laughs> pointless. Pointless. I think that's a part of what I love about the second season is it is just such a comfortable, nice world to live in. It's, I want to be in those sets. Like, I want to be in the Queenie set, that small, tiny room that they live in. Very tiny room. Very, very <laughs> tiny. But it's amazing. And Miranda Richardson as Queenie is possibly one of the greatest comedic performances of all time. I'm just saying it. And Blackadder as a show is filled with many statements like that. General Melchard in season four is one of the greatest comedic performances of all time, and so is Queenie. And I think just, like I said, season two, season four, I toss up between them both. But for now, I'm locking in season two as my favorite, and primarily because the first episode, Bells, is my favorite episode of Blackadder entirely. None of the other episodes even come close to this episode for me. Um, <laughs> um, what do you think about this second season, Bartek? Give me your thoughts, your views. Yeah, you can you can tell that they really loved Queenie because she was in both the specials, Christmas and Back and Forth, and, and deservedly so. They love Nursey too, by that logic. They do. I yes. wish she was in um, other Blackadders. Like, I wish she that actress got to appear outside of just being Nursey. I would have liked to have seen her again. Yeah, I feel like you could fit her in. They're female characters all the time. Um, yeah, de- definitely. I mean, the first thing is my favorite, but in terms, I, I already said it's not the best one, but definitely two and four are the ones that like toss up between the best because they're good in different ways. Um, definitely, I was very fond of revisiting season two, especially since I had that whole thing of like, ah, oh, season one's over, all these things I like aren't going to be here. But it was, yeah, it was cozy and inviting to come back to. Um, and definitely, yeah, the comedy was really good. Mm. It feels like to me, and this is a bias, but it feels like every comedic decision in season two is perfect. Down to each individual ending credit with the little guy singing in that very the annoying melody. voice. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually he gets chased away. <laughs> yeah, Blackadder gets pissed off with him as it goes on. Yeah, that... Is such a fine touch. I think the first season too had like individualized songs at the end of each credit, but 
the first season, no, the first season had a different song at the last episode, but for the most part it was the same song. The second season had a different song at the end of every episode. Okay, okay. For some reason, I thought, they played around with the credits in the first season, like, some of them sometimes, like, had the, the character names were made different depending on the episode. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. The, the, the credits themselves were always like in order of like religiousness and stuff or like cutie that or something and, rather something silly so like in yeah and so like in some episodes Rowan atkins would be listed first but in others he'd be listed last because he's like the least <laughs> religious character yeah i the second yeah, season that was something i forgot about yeah the second season just i don't know i don't think there's a misstep here i think every joke lands i think every episode is perfect i i the first episode, Bells, though, I think is the standout, and I think that's the episode you should show people to let them know what the show's about. Like, that is the definer mm-hmm. for me. It has the wise woman, Bartek. The wise woman, the wise woman. <laughs> <laughs> because she is wise. And she is a woman? Oh, you know her then. A woman? Ah, uh, <laughs> and... Just a stab in the dark, which is what you'll be getting. <laughs> and Rowan Atkinson with a beard is something I've never known that I needed before. But boy, is he sexy in season two. I think he's the. I think he's pure sex appeal in season two. I don't. Yeah, him, him, and facial hair, like two and four. Who would have guessed, huh? Because we're used to Rowan Atkinson being silly face guy. Like, you know, we've seen now the internet adopt Rowan Atkinson to meme status because of his silly face. But Mm. he's sexy in season two. The hair, the outfit. I think that's my favorite Blackadder look is season two. He just looks like a badass. Like, he looks like someone you wouldn't want to fuck with. Um... Do you have a favorite episode in season two? Favorite episode? I I think I have to give it to the white outer one. It's a very amusing shape. <laughs> it's a turnip <laughs> in the shape of a thingy, which is funny because my thingy's in the shape of a turnip. <laughs> I love the white adders. I have Miriam Margulies as a white adder on my wall on a canvas. Her looking mm-hmm. at the turnip shaped like a thingy with excitement. Yeah, the the second happiest she is in that episode. Every line she says in that episode is gold. Mm-hmm. Everything she does in that episode is gold. The the burning of the Catholics line to keep us warm is a highlight for sure. I I've definitely heard you say that one a million times. And you times, have to yeah. say it like how she does. Catholics. Yes. Catholics. Not just Catholics. Catholics. Wicked child! You have to actually say the O. <laughs> Wicked child! <laughs> uh, we only have one spike. <laughs> so I sit on Nathaniel. <laughs> well, what was the, the follow-up? Two would be a luxury. Two would be a luxury. Yeah. <laughs> I love Queenie in that episode. Again... Miranda Richardson is spectacular. She has so many... I can't imagine what it would be like if they didn't characterize her as if she was a small child. I I don't know how this show would have sustained itself because Queenie being like a, like a seven-year-old girl, but she's an adult woman, is one of the best comedic decisions ever. Because it makes her a genuine threat because she's unpredictable. 
but also you mm. feel for her at times. Like he was like, "Oh, yeah." She she actually kind of shows her logic in a lot of ways. Like she she, she her, whole, her whole thing in that is that she's gonna sneak into the party, <laughs> um, and she explains her thought process too. I think it was Nurse. Yeah, being like, "I'm gonna and yeah and." You understand exactly what she's trying to do, and you see exactly where it goes wrong, and you see exactly how she responds to it. I and her response is the queenie, like when you know when they you show like the highlight reels of the characters. That's like going to be that's the big one for Queenie, where she's you know I may when she's addressing the camera. I may have the body of a frail woman, but I have the heart of a concrete elephant. <laughs> I like it when she says, "Certainly will." Certainly will. Oh, she's she's true gold. That episode has so many great lines, like the whole great booze up explanation is pure gold. Um, I love when he has that line. And this is something that's great about Blackadder as a whole. Each season, you have a specific line or monologue from Blackadder that encapsulates that character. And in season two, I think it's the moment in which he's explaining why he's wearing a hat and has a feather up his bottom and all that, in which he's like, I'm a very complex man. Sometimes I choose to be nice, and other times I can be very nasty. (laughs) Just like, yep, that's his character. Because... Season 2, Blackadder has enough power to get by, but he wants more. And he's an asshole in Season 2. In Season 2, he... The plots that happen to him are his own fault as well. Like, in Season 4, they're not his fault. That's, like, the fault of the world around him. But in Season 2, he owes that Bishop of Bath and Wells money. And he doesn't give a shit because he's a rich ponce. But you still like him because Rowan Atkinson is nailing this performance. And he's nailing that the cynic observationalist in the room very well. Um, mm-hmm. Season season two, quite perfect. We've got to talk about Flash, though. We've got to talk about Flash art. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, so... In our episode on Drop Dead Fred, you kind of talked about how you weren't really familiar with Rick Mail outside of this, really, outside of Blackadder, yeah? Yes, that's absolutely true. So, I mean, he rocks up in season one as Mad Gerald, which was mm-hmm. which is always a highlight, and he's even credited as Mad Gerald. He doesn't even get a credit as Mad Gerald as, as himself. himself. When he rocks up as Flashheart, what's it like for you? Because because it's very different for people who were there at the time who, and who know Rick Mayer. What's it like for you? Because in the show, you literally hear the audience cheer when he comes on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a very glorious moment. Mm. Very funny. And it the way that he delivers it, like, if you were to just put down the episode summary, like, full summary on paper, you might say that, you know, the episode ends really abruptly with the introduction of this character. He takes away uh, the love interest that has been established throughout the entire thing. Bob. Bob. Genuine love from both ends. Um, This character comes in, says a bunch of, like, you know, selfish things, goes away, episode ends. You might say, oh, that's, that's weird writing. Um, but the delivery is what delivers it. Yeah. 
basically. Because when you know the behind the scenes, it's even more fascinating because Rick Mail performed it differently in rehearsals. He decided what his outfit would look like. So he has like seashells in his hair and it's, it's yeah, and he's got this mustache that's falling off his face and he's got this extravagant outfit. But he played it differently on in the rehearsals. He played it a lot more like dashing gentleman. But on the fucking day, he rocks up and you can see each one of those fellow actors nearly laughing or like having to contain themselves because Rick Mayo's just come onto the set and he's just like ripping it a new asshole. He's just like going crazy for it. And he had like a stipulation in which he said like, all right, I'll come on to your silly little show because he was very much like on purposely, his comedic stick was like over the top confidence and arrogance. Um, he, he, he was very much like, but you need to write me all the best lines. I want my lines to be better than anything Rowan Atkinson gets in this, in this scene and for the rest of the series. And he does have the best lines. <laughs> I will be honest. I quote those lines a lot. Nursey, mm, I like him firm and fruity. <laughs> down boy down. Uh, down boy down. Yeah, did somebody put a canoe in my pocket? Or I'm, yeah, I love that. Or... Um, Melchett, still worshipping God? Last time I heard, he was worshipping me! <laughs> he is a comedic juggernaut, and or the classic, she has the tongue like an electric eel, and she likes the taste of a man's tonsils. <laughs> I was going to say, with the with the season two, uh, Lord Flashheart, it's, it's such a brief scene, and it's so memorable, that in a way, it almost felt overly familiar to me like i didn't laugh as hard this time so it was kind of like oh yeah i remember all these lines i remember this entire scene so yeah. i kind of gravitated more towards everything else but definitely you know the delivery still wasn't held up and that's that's the thing what i mean with um these are two comedic titans of that time you have rick mail and rowan atkinson facing off of course they apparently had like a comedic rivalry because they are two extremely different styles of comedy Rick Mail is loud, over the top. He's a physical comedy guy. And he, like, here's how I describe it. Rowan Atkinson is a Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin type. Intellectual, very smart, but he knows how to play goofy. And Rick Mail is the Three Stooges. He's violent, he's silly, he's brash, he's loud. Both of them serve their function in the world of comedy very well. I lean towards Rick Mail because... I just, I don't know, I've grown up with him, I love him, he's a comedic idol. But it is an exciting thing of where you get to see these two comedic titans face off against each other using the, both of their respective forms of comedy because Rick, May Rick Mail's being loud, he has all these great lines, but Rowan Atkinson can just end the scene with just a raising of the eyebrow or just like a pithy one-liner or something. And that is the brilliance of having those two in the same room in scenes because it is watching two vastly different styles of comedy facing off against one another and it gelling perfectly. And and, and that mm -hmm. gets more so in season four, because in season four, he's in a whole episode, Flash, not just the end of an episode. Yep. I love Flash and I love Rick Mayo. And like I said, for, for someone like myself and people at the time, Rick Mayo, comedic icon, genius, big guy. Hence, when he comes on, he just looks at the camera and says, yeah, it's me. Because it's like, yeah, it's Rick Mayer. He's finally here. And you hear the crowd, you hear the <laughs> audience cheer as soon as they see him. Not just because he's Flash Heart, but because, oh, it's Rick Mayer. He's here. 
he was the people's poet. And for someone like myself, that's also one of the joys of the second season is you get Stephen Fry, you get Hugh Laurie later on, you get uh, Flashheart, you get these great characters and these great actors all in the same room. I really appreciated in season, watching season two, Stephen Fry as Lord Melchard, because I always think of him in season four. In season four, he's far superior, but season two, he really is nailing it. He's so snivelly and pathetic. <laughs> yeah. Well, in season four, he literally is the superior character. <laughs> yes, but uh, in season two, he does have the Queen's ear more so than Blackadder does. Um, and yeah, I, he also has that element of like, does he like her or is he just like brown nosing her? And he's a bigger drinker than Edmund because when Edmund gets pissed up, he sings the little song about the, uh, about the, the goblin. goblin. <laughs> Do you want to hear about this goblin or about not? This bloody goblin or not. <laughs> <laughs> I love season two. I could go on about it all day. We have so many iconic lines, just even from the first episode. Like, I'd rather be a quack than a ducky. Good day or... My apologies. Um, Hugh Laurie, yes. The introduction of Hugh Laurie. Yeah, he, well, he was introduced in the White Adders episode as well. <laughs> that was when he yes. was properly introduced as um, the guy who's like, Oh, hi, bum! That sounds like bum. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get on Hugh Laurie, let's talk about Percy as a character, because this is when Percy leaves the show. We understand why the actor does come back, because he didn't want to get typecasted as a as the dumb guy comedy role because you know Tim McElhinney is he's a great actor like he's not just a comedy guy I've seen him act in many other things and Percy is a weird character in his in his uh in his in his list of roles because it is the one that is different it is a sillier role he plays more snivelly kind of characters like Darling or other characters but let's talk about Percy did you do you miss Percy like, after season two's gone and done and he's no longer in the show, did you miss that, that void that Percy left? I, I think I think I missed him in season three a little bit. But in, in season four, I was happy that, that you know, he, he the actor was there and we had Hugh Laurie sort of filling in the shoes a bit better than he did in season three. Oh, okay. We'll talk about season three. We'll talk about that, I guess, Mr. Anti-Hugh Laurie. Um, but yeah, I like Percy a lot, and I do miss his presence uh, as Percy. I I think Percy had such a breath, breathy idiocy to him. Just he feels like, oh yeah, I'm an idiot, and I'm just dancing on the wind of idiocy. He's just so pathetic and dumb, and... I do love when he invents the purest form of green. <laughs> yeah, his his idiocy tries to come across a lot more poignant than, like, Baldrick's idiocy. Where he's like, look how clever I am is Baldrick, but then he's like, I am brilliant. And there's something interesting to Edmund having a friend mm-hmm. as well, because Baldrick's not his friend, he's his, he's his servant. Uh, but Percy's his friend. Like, that's always an interesting thing, is Blackadder has a friend. That's, like... Yeah, fellow lord. Season 1 and 2, it isn't because of the circumstances that they're friends. They just are friends or colleagues. And in season 3 and 4, Blackadder with George or whatever, they're not friends. They're just either season 4, they're lumped in together into a trench, or season 
three, it's his it's superior, it's the king, it's the prince, it's the regent. And it's interesting, the dynamic of how he does have a friend and how he just disregards it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you do have the hands of a woman, my lord! Oh, Redbeard. Season 2 just has so many characters like that, the iconic one-episode characters that you still think about to this day. Yeah, every episode has one, at least. Anything else you want to say about Season 2? Season 2, I think definitely what you were saying about it being the comedy season, the best comedy, I think that is very true. Yeah. Um. Now let's talk about Season 3. We've been mm-hmm. not saying much about Season 3. I think Season 3 is still very fucking good. I just have a preference for Season 2 and Season 4, but Season 3... To me, was always the one that it felt like people I knew or people who talked about Blackadder online or people who talk about Blackadder often would point to season three being like the Blackadder season. I don't see, like, I still see that kind of rumbling today. That's the thing that's great about Blackadder is that you can debate which season's the best, and the answer is all of them are the best. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you feel about season three? It's. I, I like it, but I think it's definitely my least favorite one. And why is that? For, it just doesn't really gel with me for some reason. I, I'm not really sure what it is. Um, I don't know. I feel like maybe the tone, maybe maybe I'm not as into the Black Adder incarnation or the, the Superior incarnation. Just something about it just doesn't quite work with me. I definitely remember, like, moments and characters. Like, we have Robbie Coltrane. I remember that entire episode being great. Sausage! 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 Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not into the locations or, or the period, but just something about it just doesn't work with me. I, I think definitely it's my least... Mm. Mm. Is it my least favourite Edmund? The... I don't know. Yeah. Something about it just doesn't work for me as well. I like season three a lot. I think one of the things that may be the thing that may be giving you a negative feeling towards it that I at least picked up on this watching of it is this version of Edmund is far... He's 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 very cynical, as, is, as are all yeah. of them, but he's very cold-heartedly cynical. Season two, he was like a mean motherfucker, but he was also like, he, he genuinely liked the queen. At the end of season three, when George dies, he does not give a single shit about him being mm. dead. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that. I like mean-spiritedness in my British comedy. And I think that's what I like about season three is George is insufferably annoyingly British madcap silly. I love George, but, you know, I can sense, I can, I agree with Edmund's disdain for him. Well, season two, you just can't help but like Queenie, you know? She's so nice, yeah, she's so, she's not nice, but she's so childlike and silly, and you, you know, she cancels Christmas in one of the specials, and, and, and George, he's very silly, but also, like, he's very loud and brash, and he hates poor people, and he's sexist, and that's all, like, in tune with the times and the character, but Mm -hmm. Edmund is very, 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 very cynical. 
and very dry and that may be one of the turning turnoffs for for yourself or for others yeah probably probably the dryness also mixed with the fact that the superior character isn't as i guess mean-spirited the mean-spiritedness uh, I... maybe is in the wrong place yeah i don't know i i like season three a lot i like that he's a butler it makes sense i think mm -hmm. him as a butler slash advisor is the perfect kind of role i also like the fact that in season three the antagonistic character or the or the superior character as you referred them is is much more present it, you know black lives downstairs from him he lives in the same area well in season two he would have to run off to go see queenie and queenie was mm -hmm. always elsewhere season three george is always there He's always present. He's always like, uh, you know, you hear the bell ring and yeah. you have to go see George. Yeah, Blackhead is always within Bell's earshot. Until, yeah, until he gets captured <laughs> in the Scarlet Pimpernel episode. Uh, and that, I think I appreciate that George is more ever present as a, as, a, as a character. That is also one of the unusual things when you think about it. The other superior characters or the antagonistic characters aren't as ever present is uh in the third season like first yeah, brian season... blessed's go on yeah brian blessed's either at the castle or he's out somewhere else in the battle yeah and harry's kind of in and out and but in this third season george is always there and he's a nice guy like he's a, yeah he's a nice guy like he's just a silly rich guy idiot but uh mm -hmm. and a lot of good gags are made with that oh my god i love the um I don't know what my favourite episode in season three is. I agree it's not my favourite either, but I think it's a damn fine piece of television. I like the Scarlet Pimpernel episode, I think. I think that one has an interesting plot as well. Like, I like how the twists and turns of it are. I like this idea that there's the Scarlet Pimpernel isn't just one person. Mm, I love the I love the process of the, the death pill, the suicide pill. <laughs> yes. Uh, Miranda Richardson coming back. As the uh, um, the sh what was it the shadow, the the bounce, yeah, the the yeah. um, the highwayman was really good. Mm -hmm. That episode, I like her, her alternating between like the dumb rich, like the dumb you know duchess or whatever she was supposed to be, with the mind of an idiot, with the <laughs> with the cute little nose. I love that. That's a running thing with her is that she has a thing about how cute her little nose is in each yeah, iteration <laughs> as a character. Because I guess Miranda Richardson has a cute little nose, and we got to know about it. <laughs> yes, that's that's how uh, you know about things. I don't know. I think season three is very good. I think, uh, um, yeah, Scarlet Pimpernel one. Although the one with the actors is very good too. Mm hmm. Yeah, I know. Uh, definitely. Our friend Reese, um, I think I got him into Black Adder in the one in the season that I I don't know if he started with season three, but it's the one that I've heard him mention the most. I think he's very fond of that one. George, uh, yeah. Each ep I don't know. I think it's hard too because yeah. I, then I think oh, but the episode where uh, you know they make Lord Lord Baldrick with Pitt the younger, <laughs> and then it's like Pitt the even yeah. younger, Pitt you know the twinkle in yeah. the milkman's eye. <laughs> I like the first two episodes of season three a lot. Yeah. He accidentally yet brutally stabbed himself. <laughs> oh, that that's great. Um, There's also that whole scene with like the voting and mm. the, the results and stuff. Like, yeah, there's just a lot of funny things in that scene. The standing at the back, dressed stupidly, acting stupid party. 
was it acting stupid or looking stupid? Looking stupid, you're right. Um, yeah. That guy was great. I loved him. <laughs> I loved that he threw in genuinely good reforms in there. Like, <laughs> Yeah, just for a bit of a laugh. <laughs> yeah, season three, there's, there's, you know, it's just a very good series. I think, I think it does a good job of doing plots very well. Like, you have the the um like i said scarlet pimpernel one you have the politics one you have the one where with the shadow you have the final one i don't know i think the individual episode plots are very well but i think in comparison to season two it's a little bit colder and it's not as gags 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 yet again season four is even more depressing so I don't know, but season four has lots of gags, lots of zany, all over the place gags. Well, season three, it seems like the gag is primarily Black Hat is very cold and cynical about his stupid boss. And that's kind of it. Like season two, you had all these wacky little characters like the ploppies. Yep. Season three, you don't have as many wacky other characters. Yeah, You finally get Miss Miggins. And she's fine. She doesn't really have any gags, though, that really stick with you. Yeah, she's just, like, I guess, responding to the fad of the time. Like, you have Robbie Coltrane. His character's fun, but he doesn't really have many gags. He's not a comedy character. He's just a genuine antagonist character. Like, he has some funny things. Like, he hates poor people as well. Um, And I think a part of it is we both like Robbie Coltrane a lot. So that's also a thing that we appreciate about that. But I don't think the season three has many, as many funny little characters. Although I do like Miranda Richardson's dad, who um, wants to, you know, who keeps misinterpreting each sentence is said to them and thinks it's about himself. You remember that character? Was that the, couple, was that the one in the carriage? No, no, that's father's daughter. Yeah, Miranda Richardson's dad, and how he keep when he's like, "I want to offer you your my you know your hand in marriage or whatever." It's like you bloody well can't. I'm a widow. (laughs) He thinks about himself. He was a fun character, and he appears in the Christmas special with his fat orphan children singing "Piggy Wiggy 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 Wiggy." Right. Yes. Oh, I don't think that was him. Actually, no, 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 different actor. I think, but. He appeared in the Cavalier uh, no. years as Oliver Cromwell. Um, yeah, season three is very good. I think it has lots of zany, wacky stuff in there. Like, I love Miranda Richardson's shooting squirrels because of their little squeaky noses and that sound they make. And every time she shoots them, you hear the weird sound that they make and a thud. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I don't hate the, four, the third season, but I just have to put it, you know, something has to be my least favourite. What do you think about the ending of it, though? Because this is the one where he wins. This is where Edmund wins. Mm-hmm. He gets to live, and he gets to have power. He will become the king, eventually. This is something we should mention, too. Each season is set in an alternative universe, an alternate history of the actual world. Mm-hmm. Because first season is if this family kept going and the Tudors didn't immediately take over or whatever. Second season, obviously, Queen Elizabeth and all that dies and gets replaced with an evil German guy. Third season is if Blackadder became Prince George and and later on, I guess, King George or Regent George or whatever, the fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the 
fourth season isn't alternative history. That's just history. The fourth season is Rowan Atkinson was at World War One, and he must have, in his character, by the logic of the timeline, must have been fifty-five years old because of previous battles <laughs> he had fought in. But he's clearly not that old, and if he was, he wouldn't be on the front lines. <laughs> and he saved Field Master Haig. Uh, Field Marshal Haig. Oh, was it Fe- oh, yes, Field Marshal. I would like it if he was Field Master Haig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the master of the field. Um, Anything else you want to say? Like, So with that final episode, Stephen Fry rocks up again, and he was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's yes. mean. <laughs> and he wanted to fight with cannons. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten a lot of details about that last episode and the season in general, so definitely seeing that last episode, it, it felt somewhat fresh to me. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Like, I think it's cold, a little bit colder. I think it's also because we know how it ends with, like, he just does not give a shit about George as a character. Like, he just does he he is a servant to George. That's it. Like, they're not friends. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least they're friendly, but I don't think they're genuine friends. <laughs> like, he does not try to save him very much at all. Like, oh, <laughs> um... All right, fourth season, Bartek. What is it about the fourth season? What is it about the fourth season that is so well loved to you and do you think to the to others? Because I often hear the fourth season be brought up as the big season as well that mm. people love. What is what is it about it that works for you and what do you think is just works about it as a whole? I guess it has a lot of black comedy, especially compared to the rest, and I think a big element is also that it's a lot closer to our history, uh, our mm. present. Um, yeah, the, the, pretty much from the very first episode, the setting is fully established. Like, you know, we're in the trenches of the Western Front, we're up against Germany, and we have idiots in charge. Like, what's that, what's that phrase? Like... Uh, um, what was it? It's like someone leading lions. Like yeah, I can't remember. Lions. I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, not very intelligent people who are not risking their lives, uh, being in charge of the actually brave people who they are just basically sacrificing because the whole plan is to just leave the trench, march slowly mm. to the Germans, and get shot down. Um, and it's very. Yeah. It's it's a very absurd thing. Uh, a lot of the jokes are made about it, but it's also something that happened in history. Yeah, I think there's several factors, like you've just mentioned. I think it being closest to our history is really important because at the time, it was kind of like, uh, like, oh, I don't know if you should be making jokes about this because there were still people who were alive that fought and people whose yeah, relatives was... died in that war. And it was very close to home. And then by the final episode, it's like one of those things where it's taught in schools for World War One. Like, he is Blackadder season four. Like, that's how great this season is. Yeah, yeah. At the time when it was released, it was like 72 years in the past. But now it's over a century. So that's how time flies. Mm. And there's just, like you said, World War One in the 20th century is the most feudal thing that happened. You know, like World War Two, you understand why that happened, why why that needed to be necessary. World War One, it's Blackadder describes it perfectly in the was it the final episode where Baldrick asks him why did the war start? 
It's yeah. just because, you know, they thought peace would work by having armies, but, you know, people are, you know, idiots and monsters and all of that and terrible and, you know, like fighting. Yeah, and there's a lot of lot of contrast going on. Um, and there's a relatability to it because in the other seasons when Blackadder dies, it's a joke when he dies mm-hmm. or as much as Blackadder is a relatable character himself, He's always othered to us, the audience, because of what time period he's in and what position of power he's in. In this, he's just a normal guy. Yeah, he's in the military, but he's just a normal guy. He isn't some lord. He isn't some butler to the king or future king. He's just another guy, and you know he's going to die. And that's the same with the other characters, you know that they're going to die because of how the show works, because of previous seasons, and you know because of the circumstance of of the show, of the war. And I think it makes it entirely more relatable because there's a ticking time clock element of danger over our characters' heads, but also, like I said, we empathise with our characters more because they're more relatable to us, not only because they're closer to our time, but because they're just normal guys. They're just normal people that are in this absurd situation. Yeah, Baldrick's crazy and odd and, 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 and silly, but he that specific Baldrick has really struck a chord with, with British people. You know, you know he's, a, he's a symbol and like we said, he speaks a lot more truths and reasoning and and uh, and all of that. And then you have characters like General Melchard, who is the image that one has really of what the people running the war are like. When you think mm-hmm. of World War One generals, that's who you think of. You think of Melchard. That's yeah. There are a lot of a lot of gags in this season about how you know I'm behind you, and then Blackadder points out how many miles behind them he is, and just the look and the attitude. And I think that's what works about season four is just there is a supreme amount of melancholy to the whole affair, but it's much more personal because of what time period it's set in. But also, like I said, we relate to those guys more, even. Darling, I I got to be honest. Every time that I watch the final episode, and Darling gets put on the front line, I nearly fucking cry each time because you feel so sorry for him, even though he's been an antagonist the whole season. I've always been captivated by the moment where uh, Melchett calls him Ke- uh, Kevin. <sighs> yeah, that's when he gets a name. Yeah, like yeah. I not I noticed that his name Kevin was in the credits of previous episodes, but that's the only time it's spoken. Yeah. Yeah, and it's given weight, and like that's the thing. Like, Darling is a silly little character who's basically a mirror of Blackadder, and he is a joke character whose joke is his own name. But mm-hmm. you you nearly want to fucking cry. Like, you either do or you want to cry about what happens to him at the end because you do relate to him. Like, although Darling has been this antagonistic character. Wouldn't you want to be, darling? Like, wouldn't you want that? That's what Blackadder wants, other than getting out of the... In terms of the position he has, yeah. Yeah, he's... Like, and that's... And then, you know, he gets that (laughs) taken away from him, and it's tragic, because he hasn't done anything wrong to get it taken away. It's just the situation. Mm. Uh, I was... In this feeling, I was really kind of captivated by the opening credits sequence, where, mm. you know, they're all marching and stuff. 
like you were saying they're they're relatable i feel like in the opening credits i was getting the sense of like we're seeing them now at work and then when the episode starts it's more like they're not at work like you have this relatability where like blackhead is you know not not working he's just speaking his mind and his is not friends but baldrick and in and georgia you know, responding to him, but then when you see Melchit, it still feels like he's doing the same thing as in the in the opening credits. Like he's still being mm. important and at work, and Darling is still you know behind him, you know, as support. Like I, I just there was some sort of yeah compelling thing comparing the how they are in the opening to how they are in the episodes for me this time round. And I think that's see how we're now talking about this fourth season. That's the power of it. We're talking about it in a far more critical, analytical sense because this fourth season has so many funny gags, so many wacky characters, sure, but it's also delivering this really nuanced writing, this really grounded, impactful writing in amongst knob gags and and darling and and... Or that it's a show, the fourth season, it's not just the last episode. There are many moments throughout this whole season in which you feel incredibly sad at what's happening Mm. to the characters. The last episode is the culmination of all that. And it's possibly the best episode of the whole entire show, like in terms of quality. I think my favorite is Bells, but I think Goodbye is the best episode of Blackadder. You can watch it on its own. In isolation, it's that good because it just, even though it's the final episode, like it's just master stroke yeah, of I, everything. I always, yeah, I always think of the ending of that, but rewatching that last episode, you know, this time around, the whole thing, just like the poignant things all throughout it, that just captivated me. I mean, just because we're talking about goodbye for the, for the time being, a shot that always sticks with me. Like, Blackadder, you know, like you said, it's a sitcom. The first season has these intricate camera works and locations, but a shot that will always stick with me is when Darling is told the information and he's on his knees and they're like, and the driver's here, and you see the door open up and it's just this shadow, like this this bright light from the car or whatever it is, and the shadow of the man, the driver, just dominating over Darling on his knees, and it just sticks with me because mm. it's just so fucking haunting. Because you just know yeah. from that image, he would be taken there even against his will. He goes, you know, accordingly, but you just know that uh, it's just that image. Yeah, is and it striking. contrasts. It contrasts like General Melchard and like his bathrobe <laughs> and like you know speaking kindly like a like a father to him. I think that's also the shot where he calls him Kevin. Right? Yes, and yeah, it's, it's just striking visually because we don't get that very often in this show, um, that striking lighting, and it's, it's, it's impactful. Um, yeah. I don't have a favorite episode in season four. It's hard. That, that goodbye episode is probably the best, but uh, a favorite is just too hard to pick them because they all well, run into one, one another perfectly. That's true, but there is one that we like to quote a lot, don't we? <laughs> Uh, which one? And we've—I think we even did it in like the last episode that we recorded as of this recording, the uh, Speckled Jim episode. Speckled Jim, you want to talk about Speckled Jim? Because I think when I think of you, I think this is one of your favorite, if not favorite, episodes of the whole entire it, show. It does. It does have one very, very good physical comedy gag for me with General Melchett. Yes, which is the 
so the the plot of this episode is that um through Black Adder's uh I guess assholishness through his dickishness, yeah. Dickishness, his desire to not go over the top and follow orders. This is the episode where he doesn't follow orders. Um, <laughs> they send him a carrier pigeon, and they mention that the shooting of carrier pigeons is now a court martial offense, but he doesn't know that until he's already shot the carrier <laughs> pigeon, which happens to be General Melchett's, you know, like childhood pet that he dearly loves. So the whole episode is basically General Melchett in full antagonist mode trying to get Blackadder to the firing squad. Um, and this includes a kangaroo court trial in which everything, everything, everything goes wrong for Blackadder, inclu- including the fact that the judge is General Melchett, the living victim in a way, the widower of the, 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 the yeah. actual victim. Speckled Jim. Uh, and he switches between modes of being the, you know, grieving victim, uh, the, sorry, the grieving widower, and the judge, who's prim proper, that also is completely biased against the defendant. And this includes a point where Darling uh, yeah. calls him as a witness, and he's in the full grieving mode, pointing out everything wrong that Blackadder did, and then the final question being like, can you see him in this courtroom? And he looks to his left, he looks to his right, he looks forward, sees Blackadder, kind of reacts points at him and just yells like there he is there he is there he is the pigeon shooter (laughs) yes and that moment of him being asked to point out blackadder is one of my favorites i love it Uh, stephen fry is an interesting guy you know in real life and as a performer he he, you know he is an intellectual he's he's a fascinating guy most people now of our generation may know him as the host of qi or just as stephen fry is a personality he's a brand of his own M- many might know him as the voice of the harry potter audio book but for me he'll always be general melchard i think yeah, same. this is his greatest performance in his entire career i think this is the peak of his comedy brilliance and even when you watch qi Every now and then, a conversation will come up, and he'll do the bah, and you hear the audience just cheer. Because even just him doing that, the recognition that he played that character is enough to sustain. And General Melchard is one of the greatest comedy antagonists ever, to the point in which, re-watching it, there were so many things that I had forgotten because other things in my brain overshadowed it. Overshadowed it. Like, I always remember the you know, the, the killing of his pet bunny rabbit Flossie speech. But I forgot about the poo-pooing a poo-poo speech. Because <laughs> it's, 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 it's everything he does, the the him falling in love with Georgina, and I want to, and darling, the best darling line to me is, stop slouching, darling. <laughs> That's when he's <laughs> unconscious across the desk. That's my favorite use of darling. He just says it so nonchalantly. Stop slouching, darling. And I think General Melchard is... Like, he's the same age as them. But you do not think in your brain for a single moment that General Melchard isn't some guy in his late 50s. In my brain, I don't look at him and think, oh, that's a 29-year-old man. I yeah, think well, of him as like... Me that. <laughs> Like, either he's in his late 20s or, or early to mid-30s, but, like, you don't look at him and go, oh, yeah, that's a guy that's only a few years older than myself in real life. And you look at him and you go, oh, he's, like, a 58-year-old man, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, he, del- he just delivers it. Do you have a favourite, other than that moment, do you have a other favourite Melchard moment? Because he has so many. In your own words, he does have so many. Physical lines, like in the in the first person shot that you talked about a while ago, like... <laughs> him behind <laughs> the map. And just giving that, like, goofy stare. <laughs> He's giving a duck face. And I remembered it too, but when I saw it, it was... <laughs> that's a gag you would do. Like, if we did a show, that's something your character would do. Yeah, in, in when I was in year twelve, I did have um for year twelve drama, um, both of the both of the units actually I had a black out of four reference. Like in the first unit, which was an ensemble performance, I had the villain slash main character, the villain main character, have a reveal at the end that his name was Kevin to try to humanize him. But then for the second unit, um, I had to do a solo performance as the fourth rendition of Baldrick, mm-hmm. and there was a point where we had to. Uh, show a representation of the people in charge and I probably didn't do it well um, but I did have a moment where I uh, had to say a line as General Melchard and I remember that was a lot of fun to do Yeah, I got to do a little bat like, uh, Victorian education examines nice he has so many I, I think one of the master strokes of season 4 as well is Darling Darling mm. I mean it's not Percy. It's the same actor, but different character. And I think just him being called Darling is genius. Because not only is every time they say Darling very funny and it has a different connotation each time they say it and there's an innuendo built into it, you can tell that that's a character who has suffered being called his own name. I've mm-hmm. never really seen a character whose personal tragedy in, in this way... like. Their own name. Every time their name is said, it's like a dagger in their hearts. I think from the very first moment, like when, I think it was Blackadder's, it's like, hello, darling, and just this little stare he gives him, <laughs> and then a very quick and stern, it's Captain Darling, Blackadder. <laughs> that moment. And his eye twitch that the actor had to get physiotherapy <laughs> to get rid of. <laughs> just that moment, character established. My favourite darling moment, I don't know why, because he has a very snivelly voice. Like he said, I have a favorite moment when he's showing the map of how much territory they've captured, and it's a one to one. Oh, the model. The model, yeah. uh, replica, and it's a one to one, and he goes, "It's very lifelike. Look, there's a little worm." Little worm. Yeah, I don't know why his <laughs> line delivery of that cracks me. It just makes me burst into laughter every time. Look, there's a little worm, <laughs> and you can't. You, we can't see the worm, but you in your brain can see it yeah. because the way he points at it and the way he says it. I'm just imagining a little worm wiggling about in front of him. <laughs> yeah, and if we did see it, we'd know like, oh yes, so that's the size of the land that we captured. It's comparable to a worm. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's season four. I mean, we've got to talk about Flash. He comes back. How do you feel? Which mm-hmm. which version of Flash do you prefer? I think I prefer the fourth one just because I remember it a bit less, so it's more fresh. And he's sexy. Sexier. He's even sexier. Like, Rick Mail described his characterization as, as Flash in season four as, like, he's got that outfit that is pure sex. And he described it like, I was a giant living penis. <laughs> like, that's how <laughs> sex I was. And he is. He's, he's pure sex in this. Um, 
I like season four as well. I I think season two will just have that uh, thing in my brain because we're introduced to him and he's it's you know it's it's in one scene, but season four he has all the great lines as well. I I I think a personal favorite of mine is when he um starts to show a different characterization like he's deeper than Edmund gave him credit for about the war and like he doesn't like the war either and I love that mm-hmm. and then really why of course not <laughs> now you get through that door before I give it a new interesting color called hint of brain <laughs> there's also a weird thing of like in the episode right before that we get introduced to the second bob and yes. she's like kind of built up as like oh she's going to be a new character but then in the next episode as soon as she enters the room with lord flashheart she's just gone she's gone bobby parkhurst he, he he has the power to get rid of a newly established character yeah well he did that last time i like it's like they're fated to be together each time yeah Flash is the best. The British do a really interesting job in TV shows like this and Red Dwarf and a few others I can think of. They have characters that in the universe of the show are bigger than life and are awesome. But to the main character, they're obnoxious and they're annoying. And in turn to us, they're obnoxious and annoying is supposed to be the thing. But in reality, we find them genuinely awesome and wonderful and bigger than life. Flashheart, we know, is obnoxious, but when you think of him, one of the words you have to say to yourself is, oh, he's awesome. <laughs> and <laughs> I do I do like also that the fourth season has uh, Blackadder not liking him, because they, they were chums in the second season. Yes. Apparently. But season four, yeah, they're, they're adversarial, and he has the best... Blackadder line uh, about Blackadder, old slack bladder. <laughs> uh, well, that was in the Christmas special as well, wasn't yeah. it? And that's before fourth season. Oh no! But Rick Mail says it with such such greatness. <laughs> Are you saying that young child actor didn't do it better? <laughs> yeah. No, I think he just calls him Mister Bladder, but he calls him. I swear he said. I swear he said slack bladder. Play the audio, Ryan. <laughs> no, because we see Mister Slack Bladder. I mean Blackadder. <laughs> and also, he has the he has the second best darling line. The two darling lines are in the same scene, by the way, that I consider to be the best, which is darling. That's an odd name for a man. The last person I called darling was pregnant. Twenty seconds later. <laughs> yep, I remember that. And he headbutts him. I love that whole Rick Vale has this really great. Um, he had this really great inflection in his lines, and I love um. When you notice it, in season, in the show, you can tell that the script has really long sentences for the actors to say, so they have to machine gun the way they're through the lines to get the rhythm of it right. Like, Rick Rick Mail does it very well. Rowan Atkinson has the, you know, this is stickier than a stick insect caught in a sticky situation, you know, that kind of thing. They yep. have to machine gun through their lines. You can tell that the sentence is very long, and Rick Mail has that ability to do that. And he has a different to Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson, you know, he has this weird enunciation on things like Bob because he has a speech impediment and a stammer. Rick Mail, mm-hmm. he has it. And I just love there's that line, that whole monologue where he's just looking at Darling and he's like, but, you know, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then just headbutts him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, season four. I, I think... It is the most emotionally resonant, and season four just ends so perfectly when it's them just going out to the trenches, out of the trenches, over the top, and you see the machine gun fired down, and it just transitions to the um, the the red poppies, and it's just 
Like, it's so weird that a stupid British comedy show has one of the most impactful statements about world a world war. You know? Mm. Yeah. Like, you can see why that episode is used as something to be educational as for World War One, or why it has such an esteem, because the First World War was comedically absurd, but also very tragic in reality, and that's this fourth season in a nutshell. It's comedic and absurd, but it's also very tragic and sad. Yeah, you get a real sense of like what the pro- propaganda was at the time, especially with George in that final episode when he talks about his friends. <laughs> And he's just too dim-witted to realize, you know, like, exactly what he's saying. And even even when he, in that final episode, when he talks to Baldrick and, like, you know, tells him off and, like, you don't know what you're talking about, there is a comedy element of, like, oh, George also doesn't know what he's talking about. But it's also, I found it also very sad because it's like he's fallen for the propaganda in that when he, you know, chastises Baldrick. But you know, too, that he, he knows that Baldrick's right, but... The reflex is to reinstate the normality of the situation. So Baldrick speaking all these harsh things, it's 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 rattling George, and George doesn't want to be rattled, so he's like, "Ah, uh, shut up," because it's like that moment where George is finally waking up to the seriousness of the situation, and he has to go back to being, you know, being oblivious and being ignorant is bliss, Bartek. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know if. I don't know if he realizes it at that point or if he's just like, you know, he's still computing in his head is the thing that got for me. Like definitely at the end when, um, he says he's afraid when he <laughs> says a jolly line and then he's like, sir, I'm scared, sir. Like at that point, I think he really gets it. I don't want to die. <laughs> I, mm. I love, um, don't forget your stick, George. Oh yes. I wouldn't want to go out there without my this. <laughs> <laughs> and, one of the most tragic comedic lines of all time is from Darling at the very end, where they're like, "We made it! We finally did it!" The they got around the table and all that, and and the Great War of you know nineteen fourteen nineteen fourteen to nineteen seventeen, yeah. and it's such a bittersweet ga- like zinger. It, it is. You just go, "Oh no!" <laughs> Black at his last line also. Yeah, it's like whatever it was, the the cunning plan thing. Whatever it was, it was better than anything I came up with. Who would have noticed another madman in these this war or something? Yeah, around here. Yeah, it's yeah. And the we like I don't know if you looked up any behind the scenes things, but the, the the final that that was pure editing genius because the they had they only did them running at the, running above the trenches once because it was mm. terrifying because it was like in pure darkness and the explosions were the light and it was all terrifying and it was only a short space for them to run and die in front of and Rowan Atkinson and the other actors like we're not doing that again so they had to make up for that in editing and yeah I I didn't watch it now but I think years ago I watched uh the two documentaries you were telling me about Mm. don't you see it in like real time in one of the documentaries yeah and it's very weird and not yeah. very good, and but they slow it down. They got the music, and then the slow transitions and the war field, and it's ugh, it's sad. Um, season the the series though has a legacy. We have the two specials. I don't really have much to say about them. Like they're fine. The Christmas one's mm. better, I think. Yeah, definitely. But it's okay. Like 
I think the big thing about the Christmas one is I'm far more interested in the present day story and characters than going back and forwards, but that's the point of the Christmas special. Mm. Yeah. How do you feel about the specials? Uh, I really like the Christmas one. Um, definitely, it did feel a bit odd that the kindest man, you know, Ebenezer Blackadder, did still have some dickish lines going for him. Uh, mm. But they, they, they felt a bit more, like, good-natured. Like, when he points out that the orphans are fat, it's not as, like, you know, a mean thing. It's like, oh, goodness, they, they, are, they are fat, I guess. He's being yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, I... I'd forgotten all about the future segment, <laughs> though, and I, had a, I, I found myself laughing quite a bit. At I like that nurse in that segment just in the background, and she has, like, a line, <laughs> that's about it, and she's, like, in a An giant ashtray. metal case. And I guess she's meant to be the third husbandoid? Yeah, that's right, the husbandoid. I really like Hugh Laurie in that future segment, though. His American accent was not yet perfected. His American accent. <laughs> you know, most people now don't realize that he's British. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I mean, technically, the first thing I saw him in was Stuart Little, which, and I know you forget, but yeah, he did have an American accent in that. So that. <laughs> but he looks British me. in it, right? <laughs> I'd have to rewatch. I haven't get a still that image since... of him and just go. Tell me that's not a British man. Tell me to my face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, the Christmas yeah. special, I think the funnier stuff is in the present day stuff. When they have the flashback to season two and season three and the future, it, they're nice. It's nice to revisit those places or visit them for the first time, but they're not as funny as, to me, him interacting with those bad influences in his current day life, like his goddaughter yeah. or, or Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. I think... That's the thing that really bugs me is I would watch a whole show about that Blackadder, whether it's the same yeah, stick or not. But I think casting the Queen Victorian Prince Albert of those two, I think they would have been great as a whole series long thing. Mm. Jim. Yeah, I think I, I guess all we see is like setups and then a bunch of stuff in the middle and then at the end just payoffs to everything we set up. And it's a special. It doesn't have to do much else other than that. I think Robbie Coltrane's a little bit wasted. I Like, I remembered him being funnier, but he's okay. Like, he doesn't get much to do. Yeah. He has this woo thing and he likes drinking. And you could tell that um, J.K. Rowling was watching that special when she was thinking about the character of Hagrid. <laughs> Um, yes, because we know that she wrote it with him in mind, but mm -hmm. I, he looks exactly like Hagrid <laughs> in this special. What if J.K. Rowling comes out and it's like, no, 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 it was it was the guy that made the dictionary that sold it. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Um, the Christmas special does have some great zingers. Like, I think my funny, my favorite bit was his birthday, his uh, Christmas present to Baldrick at the end, which was a fist. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's my favorite of him being cruel to Baldrick jokes, actually. Like, that, just, it's a fist, and it's great, and if you keep punching him, it's good. And I, I don't know, when I think of him being cruel to Baldrick, that's, like, top tier. Even though I don't think the Christmas special is as good as the series, nor should it be, but it's still pretty yeah. great. Mm -hmm. um, Piggy Wiggy Wiggy Woo, Piggy Wiggy Woo, <laughs> that, that was also great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was fine. Like, I think Prince Albert and Queen Victoria are the standouts. I love the running gag with him. Damn. 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 And damn. he falls into her giant breast to comfort himself. 
<laughs> and I like that um she's nice. Like we think of Queen Victoria as like a hard ass and a and a mean bitch or like very cold. And her version of Queen Victoria is not just Lady White at it, and it's not just a Spanish Infanta. Like she's like this wonderful, nice person, <laughs> like who wants to reward nice people. Yeah, she's very upbeat and nice, which you don't think of, and, and not even for Mira Margulies. Like I've seen her play upbeat people before, but I don't know. You think that she would play it more like a White Adder, right? But no, she's very like jovial and happy, and like. Ooh, and I like their dynamic as this happy, like, it feels like they're still newlyweds with just how, like, mm. excited they are by each other. It's very fun. And Jim Broadbent, he's one of those actors that, I, I've said it before, he's in everything and he's always different, but you always remember, hey, it's Jim Broadbent. And like I said with other people, when I see Jim Broadbent, I'll always think of him in Blackadder. That's like an immediate thing will come up in my brain. I'm like, oh, it's, it's, it's Silencio or... Damn! No matter Damn. how good he is, I will always think of him as these things. Yeah, you'd always you were always building up um, those two in the Christmas special, so definitely that was something that I was looking forward to seeing, and they they delivered. They did deliver, and then we end the turbulent ride of Blackadder, the whole affair of it. There's no more of it after back and forth, and back and forth is easily the worst thing in the whole entire run, in my opinion. Yeah, it's. It's not awful, but it's definitely the weakest, yeah. I think it's just not very funny, is the thing. Mm. I just... Could you tell me a bit that you found very funny? Or funny? Because I didn't have, like... I didn't laugh, really. There was nothing really popped out. I mean, Rick Mail as Robin Hood was good. That was about it. Uh, there was something, but I can't remember what it is, so I guess that speaks to its quality. Uh, yeah, no, Rick Mail as, as as Robin Hood, and the gag was when they came back and saved him, and he's, like, reenacting the scene again. He's like, but my question is, why are you so great? <laughs> and Rick <laughs> Mail's like, whoa, let me tell you. And that was the thing I found in music. I found it in music that Flash Heart, it was Robin Hood, basically. <laughs> hmm. And that was it. I don't know. The I think it's missing a lot of the key elements. One... It has a production value, like it's a film, even though it's like 30 minutes long. It's like a short film. It's got lavish sets, it's got higher quality camera, but it's missing the live audience reaction. And the gags mm. aren't paced very well. You just feel the silences. Like when Baldrick comes out in the special for the first time. Yeah, and he's wearing the... like front of a maid outfit i didn't laugh it was just silence and it was very weird and yeah as great a comedic titans as they all are i feel like all of them except for maybe tony tony robertson as baldrick didn't really get the characterizations down pat you know like stephen fry i don't know what the fuck he was doing in this i don't know what he was trying to do but it just didn't work it felt very hammy which is very weird to say about Blackadder because he was very hammy in the World War One episodes, but it matched. But in this, I don't know what he was going for. Yeah, I don't know. I think I liked it more when I was younger, but yeah, I, I think of it more as just like, oh, it's a turn of the millennium special than a real like conclusion to the franchise. No, I agree. It is just a throwaway special and you don't need to watch it. But just think about it. This is the last entry in Blackadder. And it's, eh, you know, I'd rather goodbye be the last entry than... Well, that, yeah, and that's the reason why they didn't have a follow-up season, right? Because the fourth season ended so strongly. 
yeah, that and the writers were tired. The fourth season, if you watch the behind the scenes stuff, is really tiring. Like, because the actors also helped go over the script, and it was very like meticulous and very tough. But it was better for it. That's the question. There's always been rumors of another season of Blackadder will happen. We've heard pictures of what other time periods. Like, I've heard that they want to do one in the 60s or 70s where he's in charge of a punk band or something. Would yeah, you I, ever I, want another season of this? I remember reading that, like, forever ago, and I couldn't remember if that was something I made up or if I actually read it, but I guess you just confirmed it. Um, I think, I think when I was younger, I was like, oh, more Blackadder, I would have liked that. But now... Yeah, I don't know. I think it just needs to be left as it is. You know, it's 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 perfect. It leave it as it is. I feel like coming back to it would be difficult to do now. I think. Oh, at this point, yeah. But you know, Mr. Bean always comes and back and goes, and that's fine because Mr. Bean's like a silly physical comedy thing, and Rowan Atkinson still got the chops. But I think like the writers. I'm not saying that they aren't at their A game nowadays, but I don't know. It just like it felt like it was a thing of its time, and it needs to be left alone. Yeah. Can you imagine an American version of Blackadder? No. No, I don't want to. But it'd be fucking <laughs> terrible. The Americans don't uh. get it sometimes when they try to do their version of British things, like the Red Dwarf pilot or the IT crowd pilot. Is like they don't get it, do they? I'd like to see the British making their version of what the American version would look like. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, and Hugh Laurie can use his American accent. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, anything else you want to say about old Blackie? Old Blackadder? Final thoughts? I, I think I gave all my uh, super poignant great thoughts already. Uh, I had a really good time revisiting it. There are a lot of episodes where I maybe not necessarily knew what line was coming up but i knew like the gist of what was going to happen next and that felt like really nice and familiar but then there were also i think almost every season had at least one or two long sequences that i completely forgot about mm. um so that was a nice kind of fresh feeling uh it's just a really fun show really recommend checking it out yeah it's same here it's a classic of british comedy i think if you are wanting to get into the style of comedy that Britain has to offer. Blackout is an easy entry for that. It's it's cynical, it's very clever, it's smartly written. It's not too British for you to be hard to get into it. I I think it's a great entry point and I think it is just uh, one of the classics. For me, I grew up with with you know, Blackadder, Black Books, uh, Coupling, uh, 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 and so on and so forth. There's so many like classic British ones that I just point to, and Black uh, Red Dwarf and Blackadder will always be still relevant and still in my brain because of just how well written and well performed it is. Like I've said, you got all these great interpretations of characters, great comedy performances, all these comedic titans in the same area and same room working together, working against each other. If you're Rick Mail, um, <laughs> and it is interesting also it's just fun to learn about history things like i know it's not like historically accurate either but like it, it is interesting as a little history thing you'll get more out of it if you know the history which that that's above me but you know I, I, the few things i did notice that was cool um yeah blackadder perfect show overall um 
but Bartek, I, I've got to ask you yeah. a question before we wrap this up. Was it speckly? What? What's the question? Um, right breasty dumpling or left breasty dumpling? Well, of course, it's both breasty dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> Nursey milk? <laughs> <laughs> or moo cow milk? Or moo cow milk. <laughs> Well, of course. It's he had such a brilliant we'll idea that his foot fell off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could sit here quoting Blackadder till till the end of time. It's that good. That's the thing too. It's such a quotable show. Quotable. It is. That's yeah. I think that's most of like what we were talking about over the years. Because one of the big things with Blackadder, even though I'd seen it so much, is I don't think I watched it at all in the last. De- no, that's not true. <laughs> Year twelve. Yeah. But basically, since meeting you, I hadn't watched it, even though we were talking about it all and the time. And I would give you things like, oh, you remember that? But you're like, oh, yeah. Or no, I've forgotten that. Or like, yeah. Um, wonderful. Um, yeah, that's it, listening people. Uh, discussion of Blackadder, done and dusted. You can follow us on the social medias, Facebook and Twitter. Spin Posh Presents. Find us pretty easy. All the podcatchers. Rate us, review us on whatever ones allow it. Spit and Polish Presents. You will find us. We've got a YouTube, so on and so forth. All that jargon. Our email is spitandpolished at gmail.com if you want to email us with your views on things, your your thoughts, uh, compliments, death threats, suggestions for our weekly show, all that amazing stuff. Uh, Bartek, what final words of wisdom do you want to impart upon our listeners to end this all on? Wobble. <laughs>